Whether you're here in person or online, welcome home. There's always room for one more. Glad you're worshiping with us this morning. Thank you, Lisa and praise team for bringing us before God's throne. Can we give it up for them? I was just, ah. I would attempt to try to sing another chorus, but it just, I, we're gonna leave that for you guys at the, at the end today. No, thank you very much. Uh, it was brought to my attention as we're in the middle of this series, uh, Hello, My Name Is. Last week we talked about, Hello, My Name Is, the bread of life, the bread of life, that I didn't offer a gluten-free version of the sermon last week. So Alex, I'm sorry. I have to apologize to you. Minute bread, gluten, anyways. Whew, good morning, Elevate. Glad you're here. We are in the middle of the series, Hello, My Name Is, and today we're going to be introduced to Jesus as the light of the world. Maybe you've met him before, maybe you've never met him, maybe this is a first time introduction or a reintroduction. I would like to invite you to be introduced to Jesus, the light of the world. Uh, we're going to be in the book of John chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to John chapter 9. There's a few passages that I'm going to look at beforehand, but the main text that we're going to be in is John chapter 9 today. So put a finger there, and if you want to follow along, you can keep a finger in John chapter 9 and then scroll with me to Genesis and some other places in John as well. As we open up scripture this morning, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, our Father in heaven, thank you for being who you are. And Jesus, thank you for introducing or reintroducing yourself this morning. As you come sit down beside us and tell us about how you are the light of the world, may we come away changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We begin our journey this morning in the beginning. It's the best place to start. Genesis chapter one, verses one through five, they'll be on the screen for you. You're welcome to turn there as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know the story, you probably heard it in Sabbath school or Sunday school growing up. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. I wanna pause right there in this passage because I think though today's sermon does not center on this, we would be remiss if we did not point it out. When our world began, there was disorder and chaos. It was formless and empty. And God through creation, through successive acts of creation, begins to order our world and then populate it with plants, animals, and human beings. And then you know the story, right? Genesis three, there's the fall, and Adam and Eve plunge a ordered world into a disordered world world. And we've been seeing the effects of disorder ever since. And particularly this week, as many children and a couple of teachers lost their lives in a horrible, horrendous act in Uvalde, Texas, we see our world spinning more towards disorder than to order. It's God at the beginning who orders things right and then we see things kind of spin out of control and, and, and time goes on. And I was pondering this last night that we, we, read, we read the Bible, right? We know how the story ends. Jesus is gonna come back. He's gonna make all things new. But he didn't come back this week. And there are families that are grieving the loss of children, of mothers, of fathers, of spouses. 
There's holes in our community, and unfortunately, that will not be the only heinous act that's perpetrated in the coming days and weeks. I don't have any insider information, okay? Just, just the way the world is, the trajectory that we're on. And as we see in the beginning, it was disorder, and then God ordered it, and then it's disorder again. Just because we know God is going to order it once more does not mean that our empathy, care, compassion, and concern needs to be diminished. In fact, knowing how the story ends should propel us towards empathy, care, and concern as we grieve with families who have lost the lives of children and we see the horrible things that are happening in this world. And the cool thing about this text, and the last thing I'll say about it, and then we'll move to where we're headed today. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And who? The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. God was there in the beginning and he's here even today. And then God said, let there be light and there was light, verse four. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And verse five, God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening, evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. It's the first day of creation. God is ordering things. He's creating things. He's speaking things into existence. And the first thing that God creates, the first thing that he sets in order to govern our time is day and night through light. Throughout the rest of scripture, light becomes to represent God's presence. Where there is light, there is the spirit of God, and where the spirit of God is, there is light. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. Wherever God goes, darkness cannot exist. And John picks up this act in, in John chapter one, verses one through five, and they're eerily similar to one another. He uses the same formula to begin his gospel. He's connecting it back to Genesis, and he says, in the beginning was the word. The word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. That word, Jesus, who we know, was in the beginning with God. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. No matter how dark the darkness, it will never extinguish the light of the world. And that's who we've come to meet this morning. Jesus, the light of the world. And this light versus darkness theme all throughout scripture, John picks it up as well in his gospel. You may remember the guy by the name of Nicodemus met with Jesus by night. And then Jesus meets with the woman at the well during the middle of the day. In darkness and in light, Jesus steps in. And then Jesus himself will step up in John chapter 8 verse 12. And he'll say to the people that are gathered around him, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the what? the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He says, I'm the light of the world. That light that, that existed in the beginning, that brought day and, and night to this planet, that's me. I wanna be the light of the world. I wanna be the light of your life and my light will give you life. 
And what's amazing about this passage is we look at this and we say, amen, Jesus, thank you. And the religious leaders at the time were like, Jesus, you are lying. You are blasphemous. How can you claim to be this? You, you, your testimony is not even true because you're the only one that's testifying about it. And the rest of chapter eight in the Gospel of John is the religious leaders arguing with Jesus about who he is. And it's one of the most patient places in scripture that Jesus is with the religious leaders because he follows them every single place that they go with their argument. And we don't have time to unpack it this morning. That's, that's not where we're headed. I, it's a great read this afternoon. Jesus just kind of drops burn after burn after bomb after bomb on the religious leaders and they walk away ready to pick up stones against Jesus. Because what light brings is truth. Crimes are more committed during darkness than they are during the light, right? Kind of foolish if you do it during the light. Jesus, the light of the world, claims to the religious leaders and to his disciples, he says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And he makes a direct one-for-one connection between the light of the world and the truth, and he says, it's me. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa slow your roll, Jesus. Like, what's going on? We, you, you, you saying we're slaves? Like, we weren't slaves, but for back in Exodus, like, we're children of Abraham, and you say you're the son of God. Like, what's going on? And Jesus will utter the clearest I am statement in the Gospel of John. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And they said, all right, you're going to play hardball. We're going to pick up stones. And Jesus, in his way, is able to just wind his way through the crowd, though they are angry with him, ready to stone him because of blasphemy. He finds himself outside of the temple, and we pick up the story in John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Let the power of this verse sink in. Jesus, who we've just been introduced to as the light of the world, was walking along and what? He sees. He sees a man, a man who was blind from birth. You know, I think it's our, our own fundamental desire that we are seen, right? I'll come into the, our lobby on Saturday mornings and I'll, I'll greet a, a few of you uh, and I'll say, hey, it's good to see you this morning. And some of you will respond, better be, to be seen than to be viewed. <laughs> yeah, we kind of chuckle about that, right? It's, it's, it's kind of funny. But we desire to be seen, just, not just to be viewed. And Jesus sees this man. He sees this man. He's identified as a man who was blind from birth, but Jesus sees him. He takes the time to allow the light that is refracted from the gentleman to bounce off of that man into his eyes and the photons are received by his eyes. And he sees this guy and he pauses. Think about that for a moment. Jesus sees us in the midst of our struggle. In the midst of whatever we are wrestling with, whether we've been struggling with it since we've been born before we can even remember we've always had it or it's something that's new that's crossed our path. Jesus sees us in the middle of our struggle. Jesus, the light of the world. And the disciples, being the disciples, go ahead and ask Jesus a question. John chapter nine, verse two. They say, Rabbi, and they want to make things existential. His disciples asked him, 
why was this man born blind? Was it because his own sins or his parents' sins? And that's a big question for us, right? The why question. Why do we struggle? Why do we experience pain and suffering? Why are children massacred in our schools? Why do people perpetuate evil? Why did this happen to me? Why can't I seem to get out of keen? Be careful how much of the water you drink, all right? You might stick around for a while. Why me? And Jesus, being Jesus, is very patient with his disciples. You see, here's the problem. We see something like this man born blind or we see a, a, a massacre in a school and we will immediately spiritualize it. We'll say, oh, Look at the good that might come out of it. Look at, look at the positive side. Maybe, maybe God is, is, is up to something and he, he probably is or maybe you did something wrong. I don't know. Or maybe God's upset with you and we kind of try to rationalize away the evil that happens in this world. What if, what if life just stinks sometimes? What about there's just evil that exists and bad things happen because bad things happen because it hasn't been reordered yet. There are things that go wrong in this world because there is sin in this world. And that's the last reason that we need to think about why things happen. And Jesus is patient with his disciples. They're immediately thinking, what's the cause? What's the reason? Did this guy sin or his parents? Because it was a predominant thinking at the time that if you had some type of degeneration or something bad happened to you, then either you sinned or your parents sinned. Because remember, God executes his judgment on your children and your children's children and your children's children. It's deep in their minds. Jesus gives no comment to their question. He continues on in verse 3. He said it was not because of his sins or his, pra- or, or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We looked a few weeks ago at the problem of evil, looking at the story of Job. And I don't think God desires that we experience brokenness and pain. That's not God's heart. But you bet God will use our brokenness and pain to bring about his glory. And Jesus sees this man born blind and he says, it's not his fault and it's not his parents' fault. But God is going to use this. God is going to use this so that people can see the power of God in him. He's going to be a testimony for me. Ellen White puts it this way, The Desire of Ages, page 471. The disciples were not called upon to discuss the question as to who had sinned or who had not sinned, but to understand the power and mercy of God in giving sight to the blind. Jesus, the wonderful, merciful Savior, is the one who gives sight to the blind. And it's the work of God that we would know Jesus. You remember John chapter 6, verse 29? We looked at it uh, last week. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. It's God's desire that we would believe in him. And if we can see the power of God through somebody else, we might just believe. And if my suffering produces the works of God in my life and in others, then so be it. May God be glorified in the good and in the bad. I may not understand it now, but I know that God has a plan. 
that he's gonna retool whatever I'm going through in this moment. We may not know the cause of our suffering, but we can know the end result. That one day all things will be made new. That one day everything will be restored. That God is working about an incredible miracle in our lives that takes a lifetime. Not because he is not powerful, but because he wants a relationship while he does it. Story continues, John chapter 9, 4 through 5. Jesus speaking to his disciples, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. In verse 5, but while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says we don't have time to poke fingers at where people have come from. We don't have time to mess around and delineate whether it was this person's sin or that person's sin. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter because the entire world is sinful. You're swimming in as much sewage as I am, and so why are you pointing a finger at me? Maybe you should go clean your fingernails. That would probably help out, right? Jesus says, we've only got a little bit of time. Darkness is coming over this world. I'm the light of the world, and while I'm here, I'm going to do acts of light. And what's amazing about this introduction to Jesus is Jesus will give the I am statement, I am the light of the world. And it's one of the few in John where he actually goes and demonstrates what he is talking about. Because the religious leaders had such a big issue with it. And here's the amazing thing. In a few verses, we're going to read, Jesus is going to give, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to give sight to the blind man. We know this story. But what's incredible about it is that giving sight to the blind was unique to the Messiah. Out of all the miracles performed in scripture, the only one who was able to give sight to the blind is Jesus himself. And it's amazing to think about that literally and spiritually at the same time. This is the special and specific work of Jesus in our lives to open our eyes that we may see. In the servant songs of Isaiah 42 and the subsequent chapters, God speaks about Jesus saying, I will make darkness come to the light. I will give you, I will give Jesus as the light of the world. And Jesus makes this big claim and then goes and demonstrates it. New International Commentary in the New Testament, the one on John puts it this way, page 542. The works of God are not so much the miracles of Jesus as the working of God in a man's life, even before he met Jesus, setting him apart as the Father's gift to the Son. So we see the miracle is coming. Sight is gonna be given to the blind. And this commentator points out, he says, that's really cool, but the bigger picture is that God is doing something through Jesus. Yes, this man will receive sight, but God has already been working in this man's life from his conception that he might bring glory to God. And John doesn't waste words. There's a simple articulation, John chapter six and seven. Then he being Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud with the saliva, and then spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. For the medical professionals in the room, perfect sterile practice. For the time, for the time, there was believed medical properties that were found in saliva. And so Jesus is making a statement. He's combining the current medicine with the healing power of God. 
And by the way, he forms man out of dust and he bends down into dust to make mud to restore this man's sight. And then he tells him this, go wash yourself in the pool of, pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. It wasn't immediate. His eyes were blinded. He's got this mud on his eyes. By the way, this guy's completely obedient. He doesn't speak a word throughout this entire miracle. He knows who Jesus is and maybe what Jesus could do for him. And he goes and he's cleansed. You see, when you encounter the light of the world, you go away seeing. Jesus wants to open your eyes. He wants to give you sight to see the world in a way like you've never seen it before. And there's some people upset. There's always people upset when Jesus does stuff cool. that's cool. John chapter 9, verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others says, nah, he just, he just looks like him. He's a doppelganger. Come on, they've, it's twin or like they traded places. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. He says, I don't, I don't know how this happened. All I know is that this guy who people call Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, and I did what he said, and the miracle happened. I followed the directions. This was easier than putting together Ikea furniture. Come on, guys. I did what he said, and now I can see. People will ask him over and over again, can you retell your story? We just want to make sure that this was Jesus and, and you're the guy. And this guy gets frustrated because his testimony is simple. And he leaves it in verse 25. And he says, this is all you guys need to know about. I was blind and now I can see. This Jesus guy, you're going to go have to meet him and figure him out for yourself. But my encounter with Jesus left me seeing when once I was blind. Remember a number of years ago, I had the chance to travel with my family to Carlsbad Caverns in the beautiful southern hills of New Mexico. If you've never been to Carlsbad Caverns, one of the most expansive cavern system in uh, North America, and there's at one point you get to go down it and there's this tour that you get to go on. And we were there in the middle of the week and I think I was the only kid on the tour, I think I was like eight or nine years old. And we're down in the middle of this cave and the, the ranger walks over to me and we've, we've come into this big, beautiful space that's probably about as big as a sanctuary. She says, hey, would, would you help me out with what I'm about to do next? And I'm like, sure, why not? And she walks me over to the side and, and she points out this little box. It's got a little button on it. She says, that's the light switch. And when I give you the cue, I need you to flick the light switch and all the lights in the cavern are going to turn off. She says, by the way, here's a little flashlight in case you lose the, 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 the switch. You can find it in case you get scared or whatever. And I'm like, sweet, this is going to be really cool. And so she, she, she talks about the cave and talks about the first people that had gone down in there and they were just carrying little, little flames and lanterns. And she gives me the cue and I turn off the lights and it is pitch darkness. You can't see your hand right in front of your eyes. She reaches into her pocket, can hear the rustling of, of her pants, and she pulls out a little matchbox. 
She takes a match on the box and she flicks it and she holds up a match in the room the size of this sanctuary. And the entire place was illuminated. Our world was like that cave, complete and utter darkness. Can't see your hand in front of your eyes. And when Jesus shows up on scene, he says, I am the light of the world. And no, he's not bringing the world's greatest flashlight. All he does is pull out a little matchbox and flick the flame so that we can see a little better. That's what God wants to do for your life. And I think about the testimony of this man. He doesn't talk about like, man, here's all the things I'm going to do now. Here's, here's how great Jesus is. The one single factor of his testimony was that he was once blind and now he could see. And that's his song for the rest of the chapter and I imagine for the rest of his life. You encounter Joe several years later and he's like, have I told you about when Jesus cured me of my blindness? I was blind and now I can see. He's like, yes, Joe. I've heard it a million times. He's like, can I tell you again? Why not? It's such a fantastic story. Because what Jesus did for that man who was born blind, he wants to do it for you and for me because maybe we weren't born blind physically, but we're born blind spiritually. We're born into a world of darkness and we can't encounter the light of the world without going away seeing. So, what would our world look like if our testimony was about what Jesus did in the darkness. That no matter the conversation, whether shifted ideologically, politically, whatever we're facing, that our singular testimony was, I was once blind, but when I met Jesus, I can see. And I wanna introduce you to the person who will cure you, you of your blindness as well. I think our world would be just a little bit brighter every single day. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this introduction. Thank you for being the light of the world. In the dark cavern of our hearts, may you today light a match that will help us see. And we, may we tell others, we were once blind, but now we can see because we've encountered the light of the world. And God, may we leave changed because we would expect nothing less. In the name of Jesus, the light of the world, amen.